0: Man, it's good to see all of you guys here this morning. Like Pastor Quentin said, for the last couple of weeks we've been uh, in this series that we call Touchy Subjects. And we've uh, we, we've talked about some of the things that oftentimes don't get talked a lot about a whole lot in church. Um, or, or at least they haven't, at least in our experience. And so we felt like it would be a good opportunity for us to... To just tackle some of those topics and to come out and we've talked about things like sex and we talked about um, things like uh, addictions and we, we just it's been it's been a pretty good series. Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Good. So we, we, we wanted to make sure that you enjoyed the first half of the series because today uh, we're going to tackle probably one of the touchiest subjects, at least as it pertains to the church, because we're going to talk about money, and we're going to talk about materialism and all the things that, that we can get wrong as it pertains to, to money, and I think the reason that, that money is such a touchy subject in church is because for, in a lot of cases, and you always see them on the news and all this other kind of stuff, you get, you get churches, and you see about churches that have mishandled and mismanaged money, and pastors that, that said they were doing things for God's kingdom were doing things for their own, they were trying to build their castle instead of the kingdom, right? And we've all heard those stories. And so there's a lot of emotion that's typically tied to to money, especially as it pertains to to, to giving and materialism and things within the church. Now, money has a lot of different names, right? It goes by a lot of different things, a lot of different synonyms for for money. Uh, the, The Christian rap artist Lecrae said you can call it money, dough, cash, paper, If it was a woman, I promise I used to day there. But now that we broke up, she'd be calling your boy a hater. Because all I do is use her for glorifying my maker. My treasure's up in heaven. Christ is my satisfaction. If I was broke, I'd be richer than folk that never had nothing. God is the gospel, not a new Bentley. I was empty, but he gave me plenty. Give me, uh, give me, homies, because I can spend six centuries simply saying I'm satisfied in the sensei. And it's sickening that God ain't good enough. You got to tell them they can get rich quickly. But this is heresy, false. It's not true. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. Read that and please believe that, man. Forget a C note. Their pockets was E flat and they still had joy. So, so, Some money, right? Now, last year, we we talked to you guys about about how to study the Bible. And we said that when you study Scripture, two of the things that you have to identify as, as you unpack a passage of Scripture is you have to know who wrote it, and you have to know who they wrote it to. And there's a book in the Bible written by a man named Paul, written to a man named Timothy. Now, if you're not familiar with this relationship or who these guys were, Paul was on a missionary journey. Paul went around, he planted all these churches, and then he, would, he, he continued on his journey so he would leave people in charge of the churches that he planted. And one of the churches that Paul planted, he left under the charge of this young man named Timothy. And then Paul writes back to Timothy, giving him some instructions as to how to, to lead that church to which he has entrusted to Timothy. Now, for obvious reasons if you if you can't relate, when I read the book of First Timothy, it's very, very, very personal to me being a pastor. Because I feel like Paul is almost writing to me. And I put myself in Timothy's shoes as Paul writes back to Timothy. And he's writing to this young pastor, telling this young pastor, I ain't not young anymore. But he's telling this young pastor, unlike me, how to lead his church well. So it means a lot to me when I read 1 Timothy. And Paul gave Timothy some instruction about how to lead his church as it came, as, as it pertains to money and finances. And this is what he said. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 17. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, As you lead your church as for the rich in this present age. Now we got, i got to stop for a minute. Because Paul is writing to Timothy telling him how to instruct those who are rich in the present age. And I think that a lot of us in our Americanized view of how money works and how we we consider ourselves and particularly our plight in life, I would assume that many of us in the room today would probably not consider ourselves to be rich. But let me give you a a little bit of perspective because I believe here that, that Paul is writing to Timothy and that Timothy then is going to lead his church. And Paul's talking about the rich people. Here's what I want you to tell the rich people. Here's my argument. We're all rich. Let me, let, me see if I can, let me see if I can prove it to you. Let me see if I can prove it to you. A few statistics. Everybody loves statistics, right? Not everybody. 83% of people <laughs> love statistics and 75% of statistics are made up on the spot. All right, so nearly, <laughs> nearly half of the world's population, more than 3 billion people, live on less than $2.5 a day. Half of the world's population. $2 and 50 cents. 1.3 billion of those live in extreme poverty which is less than a dollar and a quarter a day, $1.25 a day. Can you imagine? That's that's more than half. It gets worse because 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day, which means that if you make more than $10 a day, you are in the top 20% of all earners worldwide. $10 a day. One billion children worldwide are living in poverty. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty-related reasons. 22,000 children a day. More than 750 million people lack adequate access to clean drinking water. Diarrhea caused by inadequate drinking water, sanitation, and hand hygiene kills an estimated 842,000 people per year globally. Can you imagine just not having the ability to pay for clean water to be able to wash your hands? That could lead to your death. One quarter of all humans live without electricity. 25% of the world's population doesn't have electricity. That's approximately 1.6 billion people globally. And hunger is the number one cause of death in the world, killing more than HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. Now I'm going to ask you a question, but don't raise your hand. How many of your cars slept indoors last night? Better yet, how many of your cars couldn't sleep indoors last night because the room that you built for your car is full of all the extra stuff that you have, and so you can't get your car in the place that was designed for your car to sleep indoors? You're rich. You're rich. So when Paul writes to Timothy and he says tell the rich in this present age, guess who he's talking to? That's all y'all. That's me. I make more than 10 dollars a day, which means I am in the top 20% of income earners in the world. Killing it. I'm killing it. And so are you. You're rich. So Paul says the rich in this present age, which, by the way, is Paul's way of saying that it's in this present age only, that you can't take it with you and rich in this life doesn't make you rich in the next. He says tell the rich in the present age, those that are rich right now, but maybe not later, let's tell them how to be rich now and later. Because there's a way that you can use your wealth right now because you're a wealthy Christian if you're a Christ follower. Because you are wealthy now, there's a way that you can use your wealth that guarantees riches for you later too. And we're going to talk about that. Tell the rich in this present age, verse 17, As ask for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. I love that word. It's just a good, sounds very English to me. I want to say it with an English accent. That's in my own head. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, everything that you have God gave you. James chapter 2, we read that in our connect groups last, or actually coming up for this week, we're going to read the verses that says that every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father above, the Father of lights, given to his children because he's a good Father that likes to give good gifts. Every good thing you have comes from God. Everything, all of it. Paul here echoes that same sentiments. who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Then he gives us the instructions. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So let me give you three quickly. I need to give you three ways, three marks of what it looks like when a Christian who is wealthy honors God with that which has been entrusted to him by the Father who gives everything for their enjoyment. Three marks of a wealthy Christian. Number one, do good works. I'm not writing any new information here. Paul said that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to charge them not to be haughty and not to put their trust in the uncertainty of riches, but I want you to tell them to do three things. Here's the three things they need to do. Number one, they got to do good works. Number two, they have to be generous. They have to be generous. Do good, be rich in good works. To be generous, and number three, I'm sorry, let me back up. That generous in giving, uh, generous is specific to financial, by the way, in Paul's mind. He separates out the idea of, of doing good things physically and tangibly and actively and doing good things by being generous. Number two, generous in giving. Number three, be ready to share. Paul says, not only are you to do good works, not only are you to be generous, but you are to do good works and to be generous willingly. There should be a willingness to your your desire to do good with that that God has entrusted to you. So do good works, be generous and be ready to share. See, generosity is the antithesis to greed. You can't both want to keep it all for yourself and have a desire to give it away. You can't do both. You can't feel both. You can't think about both simultaneously. So Paul says that we should be generous because it keeps us from being greedy. And then Paul sums it all up and he gives us the, the promise Based on the premise. I, we've talked about this before, but maybe not, not lately. So let me, let, me, let me give us all a reminder for those that, that haven't heard this before. Every promise in Scripture is based on a premise of obedience. That God makes a promise based on a premise. And so the promise, right, the, the promise is what he's getting ready to give us. But here's the premise. Do good works. Be generous. Do it willingly. Be ready to share. That's the premise. Here's, that's, that's what you do. And then here's what God promises, Paul says, verse 19. Thus, or because of everything we just talked about, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Listen, Paul's not talking about retirement, Paul's talking about eternity. Paul says, Do good works, be generous. Be ready to share. Do it willingly because it is preparing for you a foundation for your future that is after your time on earth. Eternity is what hangs in the balance. Then he reiterates the point. Storing up a treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Do you want to really live Do you want to know what it feels like to really be alive? Do you want to know that you have the promise of of a life after your time here? Because that's what Paul's talking about. Paul says, man, the real life, the true life, the life that all of us really want to live has nothing to do with how well you experience life now. It's all about how you're going to experience life after your death on earth. Paul says, store up a foundation for the future because that's really life. But not only is, is this about life later, but, but I think Paul here says that, that truly, true life starts not, not when we die, but true life can start now and continue into eternity. Paul, we don't have to wait to experience true life. We can experience true life in the here and now. But there's a key, and Paul has already given it to us, but I'm going to surmise it for us. and something that you've heard us say a few times from this stage already. But it's a principle that I don't think we can repeat often enough, so I'm going to repeat it again today. Even if you've already heard it and you're tired of hearing me say it, you're going to hear me say it again. And here it is. Write it down. Generosity unlocks something in you that nothing else can unlock. Generosity will unlock. Listen, there is a part of you, if you're not a generous person, and I don't, I don't know all of you personally. If you are not a generous person, if you are greedy, hold to yourself, do all things for you because the world revolves around you. And it's all about you and you only and everything's about you and, it, and the sun rises and falls with how good you do or don't feel. If it's all about you and you are not a generous person, if you do not give of yourself for the benefit of other people, there is something locked inside of you. There is a fullness of life that you have yet to experience because that's true. Generosity will unlock something in you that nothing else has the ability to unlock. You can do all the things in the world that promise you to feel like the fullest version of yourself. But until you become a generous person, you'll never truly live. That's what Paul said. Tell the rich in this present age not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but tell them to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share it. You see, having money and stuff, that's not the problem. I got nothing against money. I like money. I like it. I like having some of it. I like being able to spend it and buy things that I enjoy. Money is not the problem. Stuff is not the problem. You know what? I like stuff too. I was up here last week with my tools. I love my tools. I buy lots of tools. I'm good friends with Scott Har- Harwell that drives a what I call the rolling toy box. Because it's full of tools and I want to go play in Scott's van. It's like the, never mind. I'm, there's something, I'm, I was, there's a, there's a, never mind. I'll tell somebody later. Having money and stuff is not a bad thing. I like having stuff. It's when money and stuff has you. Having stuff's not a bad thing. If having stuff was the problem, listen, if having stuff was the problem, that means that you could go live off the grid, grow your own food, make your own whatever, Like just live completely simply, make your own clothes, have two, two shirts, one pair of pants, a pair of socks and one pair of shoes, live completely off the grid all by yourself simply and you could still go to hell. Right? Like living simply doesn't guarantee you heaven. Stuff is not the problem. If stuff was the problem, then getting rid of stuff would be the solution. That doesn't guarantee you anything, getting rid of stuff. The problem is not having money and stuff at all. The problem is how we view our role and purpose in this world. The reason that we're here. John Piper says that we are to have a wartime mentality as it pertains to our mission on the earth wartime, live like we are on mission, and that every part of our being, every facet of our life, including our money, is lived and leveraged for the good of the mission and the good of the kingdom. Did you know that in the 1940s, they would stop sporting events to go look for bobby pins because metal was so precious? The First World War, Second World War. Did you know that... um, that during in the same second world war in the 1940s that Americans were restricted to 3 gallons of gas per week that they shut down industry of making cars, building houses, even creating vacuum cleaners because all of the resources for the country were leveraged for the outcome of the war the mission was the most important thing we should live that way as followers of Christ on mission like eternity hangs in the balance, like there's something important at stake. And we should leverage every influence and every resource that we have at our disposal for the outcome of the mission. I don't know how many of you are in the military, but even if you've ever seen a movie about the military, you know that people are heralded for their sacrifice when they put the good of the mission above their own welfare. We call them heroes, those that sacrifice themselves so that the mission gets accomplished. Every single one of us who call ourselves a follower of Christ, the scriptures are clear that we fight a war that's going on and around that we can't even see. That we fight against powers and principalities and evils in a world that we don't have the eyes to be able to comprehend or understand. But that we fight a war on that realm though we cannot see it is going on around us daily. And we are to live like we are part of the mission that will accomplish the victory that God has already set in place. But it requires us to live With the mission in mind. To live with eternity in view. And so as Paul writes to Timothy. He says. Tell the rich among you. Essentially to live with eternity in view. Like like there's a mission to be accomplished. Like there's something that needs to take place. Like something that needs to happen. So this would be. My, my challenge to you because because here's the responsibility that I feel is, as one of your pastors and there's two other pastors on staff and I think we as, as a pastoral leadership team and we as a church, we have an obligation to you who call Fusion City Church home to provide you opportunities to participate in the mission. That, that's our role. As, as we are, are charged with leading... It, or helping to lead your spiritual journey you're personally responsible for. That's another sermon for another day. Like You've got to be responsible for your own spiritual journey, but we who are leaders of the church are responsible to help you along the way. And I think that part of helping you do that is to provide for you opportunities to engage with the mission, to take ground for the kingdom, to make a dent in the enemy's plans to destroy that which God is trying to accomplish. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're here to do, to, to lead to the best of our ability, as closely as we can follow God, to do the things that God would have us to do and to help you do the same thing. So a couple of months ago, back in January, we talked to you. Uh, actually, last year we told you about our decision to, to be here at the YMCA permanently. That this is going to be home for us. I like that word, home. It has a nice ring to it. There's something about home that feels safe and that feels secure and that feels permanent. And we decided that, that we wanted to have that feeling about the place where we do church. And so we were going to stop looking at other places to go do ministry. And we were so excited to partner with the YMCA here because they have over 3,000 people that, call, that are members of the YMCA. That's our community coming to a place, a localized central place where people come on a weekly basis to work out, to play basketball, to swim in the pool, to do all, the, all of the incredible things that the YMCA offers. And there are people coming to this place, and we wanted to be part of reaching those people, ministering to those people because, man, what an incredible blessing to have a place where where the community comes to you if you're the church. We wanted to be part of that. And so we made a decision to to, to put our stakes in the ground here, our foundation in the ground here, that this was going to be home for us. And then we told you back in January... Fast forward from when we told you last year about the permanent partnership with the YMCA into January. We told you that we wanted to, to make some significant upgrades to the way that we do church here. And we want to do that for a twofold purpose. We want to spend some money, y'all. We want to invest in the foundation for the future, not the one that has anything to do with here on earth, but the one that has everything to do with eternity. We want, we want to spend some money to become more efficient in how we invest in that foundation because we believe That we have a powerful opportunity as a permanent partner of the YMCA here to do a whole heck of a lot of good. And it's gonna take a little bit of spending to be able to do it even better. And there's a twofold reason that we want to do that. Number one, because this is home for us. This place, this YMCA. They're excited about having us here. We told you guys that. They're they're excited about having, they're gonna let us put our name on the side of the building. YMCA, Fusion City Church. Isn't that awesome? They they didn't have to do that. That means now that driving down the road, you're not only going to see YMCA, you're going to see Fusion City Church. People are going to know this is our home. They're going to know it. And one of the reasons that we want to invest the money in the way that we do church here is because when people walk in here, we want want this to feel like home to them too. We We want it to feel permanent. We want it to feel established. Now, I think... Our crew and our volunteers do the most incredible job that I've ever seen. I've, I've been in a lot of portable churches. I've never seen anybody do it better than us. Now, If that sounds like bragging, maybe it is. That We got some good people here at Fusion City Church that do good work. And it looks cool when we come in here. Let's clap for the volunteers because, man, God knows they deserve it. I think it looks great when we walk in here on Sunday mornings. But it can look better. And that's where money comes in. It takes a little bit of money to make this place feel more established, more permanent. Because the, the one thing that's pretty consistent about the opinion and perception of portable churches is that they're portable because they don't have what it takes to make it long term. That, that's, that's a perception. It's common. It's not. You may not ever hear anybody vocalize that very well, but it's just the reality of things. When you walk into a place that has curtains for walls and portable equipment and all that other kind of stuff, There's something about that 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 tells people this may not be here very long. And that's just not the truth. We're going to be here forever. And so we want this place to look and feel a lot more established and permanent. And it's going to take a little bit of money to be able to do some of those things. We want this to feel established so that when somebody walks in the doors, that we met because we were here during the week and we met them at the wine, we said, hey, guess what? On Sunday, we're going to transform that gym into a church. You should come and hang out. And then they come and they hang out. We want them to come in and feel like this is home and like this isn't going anywhere, like this is permanent, and like these people got their stuff together and they know how to do church well. We want them to feel that so that they stick, so that they stay, so that they feel comfortable, so that they feel safe, you know, kind of like, Home. We want that for every person that walks in the doors. We want want to feel permanent because we are. And number two, the thing about the upgrades that we are trying to make here is the other difficult thing about portable church is that when you set it up and you tear it down. And you set it up and you tear it down. That means that you plug it in and you unplug it. And you plug it in and you unplug it. If you imagine if every day you walked into your house and you plugged your TV in and you unplugged it when you left and you plugged it in and then you unplugged it. Do you know how, long your TV, how much less time your TV is going to last? Right? TVs are kind of like a long-term investment thing. But if you imagine if you had to plug it in and unplug it every day, all the cables, plug them in, unplug them, plug them in, unplug them. Every time you wanted to use it, your TV lasts about two months. Right? We've been using the same portable equipment now for five years. And it's held on pretty well. It's not, it's I've been pretty impressed with some of the, the products that we've bought. But a lot of the things that happen here that you don't get to see is that on Sunday mornings we plug stuff in that last week it worked when we unplugged it. And this week when we plugged it in, it didn't work. Because it's been plugged in and unplugged about 500 times now. And things get loose, wires get jostled or whatever. And so we spend a lot of time troubleshooting on Sunday mornings as we set up. And then sometimes problems happen after we get it all set up. Last week, I don't know how many of y'all know, but I'm, I'm pretty tied closely to the lighting and things that happened here. Last week, we had a light that was flickering. See, some of y'all didn't even know. You're like, really? We didn't know. I knew because I'm sitting in the back, like my eyes twitching. Every time the light would flicker, my eye would twitch. And there was nothing I could do about it. It was hanging up there. And it was flickering. I was on stage last week preaching. And it, like, it's, I'm, I'm half thinking about the message I got to preach and half thinking about I got to take that wire and undo it and plug it in. Like, I'm, our stuff starting to tear up a little bit. The more permanent you become, you plug something in one time, it stays plugged in forever. <laughs> and that sounds so cool to me, especially as a lighting guy. You plug a speaker in and it stays plugged in forever. You don't ever have to unplug it. it just, It's going to hang up there in the ceiling. That screen that we set up every single week. There's a button snaps on the side. You have to push the buttons in and you have to build the screen every single week. And it's on two aluminum legs. It's 16 feet wide and 9 feet tall from the part that you can see. Guess what? That's a lot of space. That's a lot of span for some aluminum pole and aluminum pipe to hold. Right? Imagine this with me. Imagine a screen that descends from the heavens. (laughs) And it's perfect. Perfect and it's square, and Kevin and I don't have to go climb up the ladder and adjust the projector to get it right because the projector is mounted forever. <laughs> and that does two things for us. Number one, it significantly decreases my stress level. All right, There's nothing more important than me. It's all, it's all about me. It's, it's just, That was the first half of the message. I'm still working on that. But the second thing that it does is it, it makes our volunteers more efficient. I guarantee every volunteer that has to touch screen, stage, lights, and all that other kind of stuff right now are going, yes, let's do this. Because they're excited about it. But number two, for the people that walk in those doors on Sunday mornings, there's going to be a higher level of quality. The things that we would like to buy and purchase and upgrade are going to be better equipment than we have now. They're going to be permanently installed, which reduces wear and tear. It's going to create a distraction-free. Listen, we're all about removing distractions here. That's why we make your kids go in the other building because we want distraction-free worship environments here. When you come in and you sit there, if God is working on your heart and you're about to give your life to Jesus and a light flickers or the screen goes out or something goes wrong, that's a complete opportunity for, for you just to lose train of thought, to, to miss the moment. And it doesn't mean that God can't do it again and that, that what happened wasn't real, but but it's a distraction. And we're trying to create distraction-free environments. And so... That's another reason that we want to do the upgrades and the changes that we want to do here so that we create an environment. So that person that we meet here because our church is hanging out at the Y during the week and when we invite that person to come in on a Sunday morning and do church with us in the room that we transform to look like this every Sunday, that they get their worship uh, distraction free and they get to feel like they're home, they're safe, they're secure and it's going to be here forever. Because it is. There's a lot of value in that. And so we're going to ask you to partner with us to make this place feel more like home than it already does so that we can create distraction-free environments where things don't go wrong, where it feels like it's something that's going to be here for a long, long time, because it is. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we think about all that you've entrusted to us, God, we are the rich. We have so much to be grateful for. And, God, we, like Paul and James, we recognize that every good thing that we have, every resource that we can put our hands on, whether it be financial or tangible, God, we have those things because you are a good father who gives good gifts to his children. So, Father, we thank you that you've entrusted us with so much. God, now it will be my hope and my prayer as we talk about how to make this place feel more permanent, that you would impress upon our hearts, God, the decision you would have us make, how to partner with Fusion City Church to do it better more distraction free more efficiently God not because we want people to brag about how awesome Fusion City Church is but because we want people to come to know you because they were able to walk into a place that felt like home God we want that not for us but for them God it's not about us it's about you It's about your story. It's about the gospel. It's about how you want to use us to accomplish your will of having more and more people come to know how loving of a heavenly father you are to them. So, Father, now as we think about our involvement in the capital campaign that we talked about just a few months ago, God, would you lead us? Would you search our hearts? Give us the discernment to be able to decide how it is that you would have us to move and what you would have us to do. We thank you, Father, for who you are, for how you love, for your son Jesus, the hope, the peace, and the promise that we have through him. It's in his name I pray. Amen.